Okay, okay, okay. Happy Tuesday, everybody. You are currently tuned into yet another episode of Thoughts from a Counselor. Right. We are your hosts, Libra Lester III. And I'm Paul Singleton II. Welcome. And today we are excited to introduce another new guest. And as always, you know, we try to make sure we bring people to the table who have a lot to offer, who yep. are really knowledgeable, yep. but who most importantly have a voice, right? And now I'm about to allow him to utilize that voice by allowing him to introduce himself. And it's all yours, Josh. What's happening? What's happening? Good folk, good people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want to say thank you to Liebert and Paul, Paul and Liebert, for having me on the show. Um, this is big because I feel like one day I want to do something like this with my friends. So thank you guys for having me. Um, this is an honor. I can't wait to get into it. Yeah, tell them a little bit about yourself. Uh, maybe a quick fact, maybe what it is you do for work, your dreams, your schools. You know, you're a great man. Let them know. Right. Show your power, man. This is your platform. Right on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so I'm a recent Morehouse grad. Yeah, yeah. Woo, woo. Heard it, heard it. Yeah, so um, I guess right now I'm just trying to like figure out what I want to do next in life. Not exactly sure like what that is, mm-hmm. but I do know I want to like do something bigger than myself mm. further down the line. I don't know. I'm going. I'm like a confused new graduate in this 2020 year. It's been a like, confusing yeah, year for sure. I'm, like taken away. We're already halfway through the year, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and I mean, Absolutely. you put that perfectly. <laughs> right, right, and and honestly, uh, me and Lieber, I know for for my, and I'll speak for myself. We can identify with this, right? We're still two uh, black counselors in training, trying to figure out the world. It's in itself right now. So, um, this podcast is that platform for us, right? Uh, we are two black counselors and just let me just remind everyone what we are, who we are and why we do what we do. Right. Um, we're two black counselors in training who are bridging the gap between what they were taught, what we know and then what we think we know. Right. All through understanding that the world is still being recognized, um, recognized and created through <laughs> the world is still being formed. There's a lot of words in there about being um, formed and reformation, but know that we're about. Um, expanding the knowledge that we have right now and we do this by bringing in guests and having wonderful in-depth conversations right Lever? yep yep because wholeness is not so much a journey that's completed right wholeness is something that you have to add on to and to sort of play on how we grow as people what made you whole in 2016 is valid right, right. it's important it is authentic right but now you look at 2017, your definition of wholeness may be expanded some because you've learned new things, you've had new experiences. And just as a small reminder to y'all, you know, seek wholeness through your lens yeah. because the things that make you whole are going to be different from others. And that is okay, right? Because you're supposed to be different. But, you know, that's another conversation, right? We're getting off topic. Yeah, it's okay. But why don't, you bring, <laughs> why don't you bring us back to topic, right? What are we focusing on uh, this week? So today, uh, for today and for this week, we are talking about satire. And more specifically, we are talking about conceptualizing it. You know, a lot yeah. of us have heard words. A lot of us think we understand words. But we've never really defined or at least sought some of these definitions for ourselves. So, of course, 
you know, us trying to facilitate the best conversation possible. We plan for the definition for y'all. To start with, satire is an art form that many of us, you know, know, appreciate, and consume. Mm-hmm. Satire is seen in a lot of shows such as Boondocks, Black Mirror, Daria, and more. When one goes to dictionary.com and looks up the definition, they see the satire is defined as the use of irony, sarcasm, ridicule, or the like in exposing, denouncing, or deriding vice, which synonyms for bigotry and folly, along with misunderstanding and some other things. And the first question now we want to pose today, so some of our experiences through media have resulted in us having favorites, right? And since today's episode is on satire, I figure let's open with some of our favorite satire shows. I'm sure between the three of us, we've seen a good amount. <laughs> yes. And uh, I, I kick this to you to start it off, Josh, since you are special guest. Well, you already mentioned the Boondocks. <laughs> <laughs> Personal favorite. Um, Dexter is another one. I don't know if you guys have watched that show. It's an HBO show about mm-hmm. a um, serial killer who, who kills other serial killers. Um, Black Dynamite. <laughs> um, those are those are what comes <laughs> out. But yeah, okay, my favorite okay. one would definitely, obviously, probably be the Boondocks. Okay, okay, and now yes. I'll pass it to you, Paul. Yes. Oh, and there may be a bad example of satire be uh, South Park. <laughs> <laughs> Good and bad is relative. However, I think that it is an example nonetheless. Josh, you're right. You, you, yeah, absolutely right. Um, but I, I would, I want to agree with you, Josh. I think Boondocks is probably, if, if I'm thinking top shelf, got to put that up there. Um, but some other ones that haven't been mentioned yet, maybe Bojack Horseman. I think that show is, mm-hmm. is creatively, is a creative, uh, wonder, wonderful show. Um, I love it. I think also Family Guy, in, in a sense, and The Simpsons. You know, you got to start from somewhere. And sometimes The Simpsons is, we all know The Simpsons began in 1989, and it's, it just started 20 seasons of wonderful, well, no, nah, I won't say wonderful, but consistent. <laughs> Let me say consistent animation. Um, and Man, go, go ahead and <laughs> shout out Spider-Pig, Paul. I know you want to from <laughs> you know, the Simpsons movie. Listen, listen, you can do anything a Spider-Pig does. So I'm just... I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying, y'all. Um, but uh, it, those are some of my favorites, um, definitely. But Boondocks is top shelf. And Bojack is, is pretty much, it's up there with it. I think Bo, uh, Bojack is a wonderfully uh, created show. Weaver, how about you? Yeah, and I feel that. Uh, for me, y'all have said a majority of the ones that sort of stick out to me. But since my girl, Quinta Brunson, just commented mm-hmm. on my tweet the other day, nice. I'm going to shout out a Black Lady Sketch Show. Because that show is honestly comedic gold. It cracked me up. It's, and it's really good humor, right? Yeah. It's really good satire. Because typically when we see the satire scheme, like we have Boondocks, mm-hmm. we have the Dave Chappelle show, but we can't really name many shows that critique and are satirical from the Black perspective, right? Right. So to see that and to see them doing that, it's really refreshing. Because as we know, sometimes satire that's done by folks who don't look like us can miss the mark a little bit, just a little the bit. The Cleveland show. <laughs> <laughs> you just described the Cleveland show, Lee. I just want you to know that. Please continue. Please continue. Um, I think that's it for all I have. Now, like I said, y'all named some of the best ones. I mean, the Boondocks was formative for uh, honestly a whole generation because yes. we 
looked at it. I'm trying to think. I think I saw my first Boondocks episode at like 10. And I watched the Boondocks. I mean, I still watch it now, but I watched it all the way up until they had that iffy fourth season, which was kind of bad, but <laughs> I watched anyway. <laughs> Unidimensional fourth season. Yeah. yeah. It, it didn't It didn't meet the same standards that the previous three uh, met. However, we were just grateful to have another season of the Boondocks, I feel like. Yeah. The, the fried chicken flu episode did speak to the Popeye's <laughs> craze, though. Oh the chicken salad craze. So they, they had Perfect one time. hit among all those misses. Right. right. Wow. <laughs> and since uh, we're discussing satire, let's, let's why, why not continue by naming... But you've all, we already named it, right? We've named these wonderful shows. We figured out um, what they look like and how sometimes they misrepresent um, people of color, specifically black folk, right? But we also got to discuss the comprehension of it, right? So at what age, and I think, Libra, you alluded to it uh, a little bit, what age did you start consuming in and watching satirical shows like uh, mm-hmm. Boondocks or, or The Simpsons or the Dave Chappelle show? Mm-hmm. Okay, so Dave Chappelle's show, I got into that because my cousins used to watch it. Yeah. So I, I can't quite clock that age. I want to say maybe nine. And like I said, Boondocks, I started watching as soon as I accidentally came across it on Toonami. But as far as perceiving the satire, boy, I don't think I started perceiving it until like maybe 15. And what sort of spurred me into it, I showed my think eighth grade English teacher episode this episode was think meaner possessed Tom mm-hmm. and we had him watch it because it cracked us up he wanted to know why it was so funny and he was explaining to us how we completely misunderstood it and he was also a black dude one of my first black teachers like, Mr. Yeah. Gettys is a sharp dude right so if he say I'm missing something I gotta be missing something you know I'm a 13 year old right so after two years of thinking growing my awareness I finally began to catch on to more of it I was like wow Wow, like I could really consume the art then. Yeah. How about you, Josh? Um, I think for me, when I first started watching the Boondocks, maybe like 11, 12 years old, um, I was just watching it for like the laughs. <laughs> no, I thought it was like funny how they just took things that you saw every day in the black community and just made them like, 10 times more hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I probably didn't start to understand it maybe until like junior year of high school. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm only child, so I didn't have like a lot of uh, like older siblings or anything to bounce these kind of like ideas off of. And a lot of, pe- a lot of the kids in my neighborhood, um, we were all like ignorant little kids together. Right. So, yeah, y'all, y'all were kids. <laughs> right, they, they were children. So right. We all watched the show for a while. We all knew we loved the Boondocks, and we all just, like, watched the show for the laughs. So I didn't start to perceive it until, like, really later on. I'm still, like, learning about satire to this day. For sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> no man that that growth it's it's you're, you're speaking to that growth that we all have to go through right um even um me being a few years older than you all is something that i'm still battling and struggling and developing in my own self to figure out uh what is acceptable what what is 
um, real and what isn't real. And and I know for me, it was Dave Chappelle came before uh, the Boondocks. And we, when we were coming up, we were, to your point, Josh, just watching stuff for laughs. We would see these funny jokes and then we would try to uh, perform them for our <laughs> friends, right? So we bring, we, whether it's school, it's on the bus, we at the playground, we just are doing it for the kicks. And it's not until you have that uh, that, that awareness, that that woke moment, that, that awakening where you can figure out like, Maybe there's something deeper to this outside of just me having laughter, right? Me having joy for shits and giggles for all, all um, intents and purposes, right? So um, I don't think I really started to process it until, like, college and going to uh, Claflin University in South Carolina. And because of my environment and because of the the conformity i guess that i wanted i wanted to conform so i'm just doing it for laughter not worrying about and, and we'll allude and i'm alluding to something that dave Chappelle talks about later on um that we'll bring to everyone's knowledge a little later in this episode where i don't know whether i'm doing this just for laughter just to get laughs and and love from people watching me or they laughing at me right like it, it, mm-hmm. is that that inner battle and it's and I don't start to see that and I didn't start to see that until I got to college um so uh it's definitely something that I'm still trying to process and battle with but I also appreciate the journey that to go through it and to actually be able to recognize it because being unaware is way more dangerous than knowing what's really going on in the first place mm-hmm. and I think you put that perfectly because you you hit it on the head. A lot of us do think, oh, you know, let's look at the world literally. Like, right. like what's in front of me is all that's in front of me. Right. And no, like the whole point of satire is that you have to be primed to comprehend it. You know, the world is sort of like that too. Like yeah. a good example is how a lot of people don't recognize that society got to be the way it is because it was guided that way. For sure. A lot of people really take an issue when you remind them how socialization works, but not many of our thoughts are our own thoughts, right? right? They're how we've been trained to think. And driving is the greatest example of that. You know, we drive on the left side, right? But you go to another country, they might drive on the right side. Right. That doesn't mean one is right or wrong. It just means you were prepared to view things in one way or the other. Mm -hmm. It also takes a level of maturity to fully understand the satire that a lot of these shows are trying to convey. Mm-hmm. Like, um, like you watch the Boondocks, and he's like throwing stuff in your face. Like Tom's name is literally Tom, and he's mm-hmm. a pull off of Uncle Tom, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Like <laughs> you don't realize that until you watch it later on with like a couple older friends in college or something. You're like, oh, sh-. like this mm-hmm. he's literally mm-hmm. looking for Uncle Tom, and <laughs> Um, him and Uncle, Uncle Ruckus are like two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. Right. And even arguably, uh, Riley is in that realm too, because I explain to people a lot. The only difference between Ruckus and Riley is that Riley is just a little rougher around the edges, and Ruckus tries to be a little more, you know, clean and direct with it. But they say in the same things if you really listen to it. Because what does Riley say all the time? Dang, black folk ruin everything. What is Ruckus saying? Dang, black folk ruin everything. I, I think part of that is because we may believe Riley has a chance for redemption, right? We all, especially in this country we live in, we love the comeback story, right? So mm-hmm. Riley's a nine-year-old child that, yeah, he's saying some off-the-wall stuff, but he's a kid, right? Maybe, 
he can bounce back from that. Uncle Ruckus is this 60, 70 year old, maybe older man <laughs> who is just blatantly racist, rude, and everyone just wants to die. Just anti black exactly. the whole nine. Exactly. They like he's been stuck in his way. He has that disease that he's not really he's a white man that but has Yeah, he said uh, re revitalize though. Like, <laughs> Okay, Uncle Ruck Ruckus. Okay, <laughs> but like I think that that plays a part as well, definitely. And and their environment and the way and we just to to add one more point on the perception before Lieber passes it on. Um, depending on uh how we receive it in the environment we're in, I think plays a part in how we take in this satire as well, especially Boondocks. I think um when we're coming from the inner city or people that. Uh, may have less and they see this this type of show they may see it as hope but it's also telling my true story and then i know me and lieber we've had conversations about well is it right that a 25 year old is associating themselves or self-identifying with a nine-year-old child however they that may that nine-year-old child that story may embody my current situation my current environment but when you're on the other side i may look at it the way tom looks at it like there's always hope i believe like usher's not trying to sway my girl he's just her favorite singer or like something like that like you know what i'm saying so i think our environment is another factor that we have to consider when um um taking in these shows and that's actually a great segue into our next question, right? So I remember, Josh, you put this one in the dot. So would you like to read it off or you want me to kick it to our viewers? Uh, no, I got it. I got it. <laughs> All right. So do you guys feel as if the Black community falls back on satire-driven humor to discuss issues our community faces? And, you know, if you if so, why or why not? Mm -hmm. I'll let you start this one, Paul. All right, I got it. I got it. I'm I'm a little torn for this one because I think um, we touched on it a little bit earlier around how we don't have enough creators out there, black creators, um, who uh, can put good um, product out there, or let alone product in itself, for us to say that they always fall back on this to use this media, this medium, um, to show what the community is facing. However, in those instances that we do have, and whether it's Boondocks or the show you described, Liebert, um, I think mm -hmm. that race is is something that they definitely race or all the uh, any issue that they bring up within the satire is something that they should fall back on. Um, but I think the the issue comes with how people receive it, right? Because they know mm -hmm. that we will pay attention. It doesn't even matter if it's a sat a satirical. Um, comedy or a satirical show or if it's just something in general right think about the proud family um cannon busters um any black uh show uh welcome family matters it doesn't matter the fact that it has mm -hmm. a black main cast or a core we will we'll be drawn to it right the community will go to it and give it at least a chance we all watch black as fuck at least because it was uh a, it was a it was a black show let's give it a chance on netflix right um maybe it's more accurate <laughs> it, may, it may be more accurate but to my point we'll give it a chance however when we are trying to show people these um racially charged or these uh critical critically thinking um, topics that people need to uh, actually immerse themselves in. I think they use the comedy and they take that as a, as a cop out to not deal with those heavier things. Right. So again, when I, I want to compare um, the Cleveland show to the boondocks, right. When people are watching <laughs> the boondocks, right. They may typically they'll watch the show. They'll find the laughter, but you may be able to pick some things and, and see the real message behind what they're trying to say. 
even though you have that mm-hmm. same population that's watching that show, at least they'll be around that message. They probably don't receive, they may not receive it. However, they're watching it. But when you watch mm-hmm. the Cleveland show and you make fun of it, they'll just see it as the joke and you can't, you can miss all the overarching conversation. You can miss the positive imaging that they may show. Mm-hmm. Um, even mm-hmm. though it's, it's very comical, but this black man is coming to a mix, a blended family and he's taking up the responsibility to raise these children that may not be his. That's something that we definitely black fathers matter, right? Although it's a lot of joking that goes into, that's a positive message I would take from that. Mm-hmm. However, all the fart jokes and the, uh, wigs taken off and things like that get that blinds the overarching message. Yeah. So I think um, people, it's, it's, it definitely depends on how people receive those messages. And I don't think there's an issue with um, our creators putting that in there, but I wish that us as viewers would um, just use different lenses to take in that uh, content mm-hmm. and that media. Yeah. Yeah. To add on to that, I think the true beauty of the boondocks and sometimes the Dave Chappelle show, because he also did the same is that he would just oppose Riley and Huey often. Right. And Aaron Magruder made sure that every time Riley had done something foolish or silly, right. Huey was right there to explain it to the lay person who may not comprehend it. Because again, to comprehend satire, you do need a certain degree of exposure. You know, I'm not going to say like sure. intelligence or smartness because right. it's often not just about that. Right. And right. the creators themselves are either going to be supported or limited by how well read they are. Right. How well they listen. Yeah. And to go now back to the Cleveland Browns show and issue two is that we have to realize that representation is only as good as folks understanding of the position they're in. Yes. Because Aaron Magruder talked about some really real things yes. all throughout boondocks. Like they had a good bit of episodes where it was just sort of silly. It was just sort of whatever. And they had a lot of episodes where you can go revisit it and be like, Hmm, this is really something to think about. The most glaring one to me is the Martin Luther King Jr. one, because all throughout that episode, he referenced how I understand that, you know, y'all have done a lot. You know, King in the episode was absent. You know, he had gone into a coma. He hadn't really died. But he spoke to them from the point of view of, I love that y'all believed in me, but I'm doing this because I believe in y'all. And that's a powerful statement on so many levels, because one, as we discuss a lot when we say the way we socialize with black children, mm-hmm. not a lot of black children are being told that people believe in them. Right. And it's on a much greater scale, they're being told nobody does. You know, sometimes by their teachers, you know, we have a plethora of rappers who are like, yeah, like my middle school, my elementary, my kindergarten teacher told me I wasn't going to be nothing. And you have to realize that that institutional component does kick in with their lived experiences because mm-hmm. it's like, how do we hold the individual accountable and say, okay, you're making art, so make good art, but also realize that we can't fall on black exceptionalism and say, no, nah, you have to be the highest tier to be valid right. because then we're taking away from what we could gain from art. Josh, you guys, oh, go ahead, Josh. Yeah. I'm going to ask why you guys feel that even with Huey being there kind of to explain the faults in Riley's ways, people still kind of missed the message. Uh, I, I think, no, go ahead, Paul. You got it. You sure? No, go ahead, brother. You got, I, I, you're thinking, you got your pondering face on it. Right, right now he's pondering, y'all. He's pondering. He's like, you know what? I got a point to make. <laughs> go ahead, Lever. Yeah, the, the point is that 
no matter how well you explain a message, folk won't get a message they won't want to get. Right. And while Magruder did his very best to make Riley seem as childlike and as ignorant and immature as possible, once someone has decided that they agree with you, that's it. And, you know, we talk a lot about how kids get branded as impressionable, right? But if an adult hears a person talk with a certain tone in a certain manner of dress with a certain uh, diction, they will fall for whatever is being said. That's before they even know if they agree with them, right? So to the point about Riley, once folk are hearing the media that they consume, parrot an idea that they agree with, they latch on to the character because people like seeing themselves in media. They like seeing themselves, period, to feel seen because many of us don't feel seen. Correct. And that's directly related to the homogenous view that we're all taught, which is, oh, we all have some similarities, so that's enough. And it's like, yes, we do. But if we're different, that's also okay because that means we can learn from each other and better appreciate each other, which sadly Riley couldn't even do even in the episode with, uh, was it Gangsta Delicious? When bro had put on like the, the skirt yes. and granddad was like, Riley, that's a skirt. He's like, nah, granddad, it's a gun department. A compartment. Right, right. And then he, he was like, Riley, is that a purse? He's like, nah, granddad, look, this is where I keep a brick. And it's like, but, oh, okay, Riley. <laughs> right, right. No, brother, I think um, you're completely and absolutely right. Uh, if someone isn't ready to consume that, um, it doesn't matter how um, watered down it is. Like if I'm, if I just want Kool-Aid and I'm not even paying attention to the co- the water that you got in front of me, it, it won't matter. No matter that if it's the most chilled version, uh, version of water, it's coming straight from the Himalayas and, and it's just some real good water. I, I want Kool-Aid. So I'm stuck on that. And when people lock in on that, I think that's very true. And, Part of that is they not only lock into that, they grow with that. They develop with that. We have people that, and I'm sure we all can identify some in our own lives that have been stuck in their mindset of when we were eight, nine years old, but yet they're 20, they're 30, they're, they're 45, they're 75, they're our grandparents. Yep. Like, so um, it's hard um, for people to one, want to change, let alone actually uh, think about change. Mm-hmm. And and I, I think like when you, go ahead, uh, go ahead, Josh. Please. I feel like when you talk about the boondocks, it's almost incredible. The fact that we're even talking about it today in 2020. Aaron Magruder is a prophet. He <laughs> predicted so many things that came to pass perfectly. Yeah. Right. Incredible because this comic has been around since 1996. Wow. It's the oldest. It's the oldest Let's sit. Let's sit back and give this man. Yeah, oh, go ahead. Hit, 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 hit a live cam. Yeah. Has <laughs> changed the way. Like we're even having some this kind of conversation and we're going back to that. For sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. Probably our minds are probably still underdeveloped and forms of satire, and um, they're probably not even like he and Till probably don't have a platform. Stand on it. There's no Dave Chappelle and there's no mm-hmm. Facts. You know? mm-hmm. One more time. I'm just going to get one more time. Let's clap one quick time. Just a quick time. <laughs> you do great work, Aaron. Thank you so much. So we've been talking. Oh, leave- go ahead. Leave no, it. no, you got it, Paul. Thank you. So uh, we've been talking a lot about different satires um, that set um, satirical 
uh, shows that we've watched. We've been focusing a lot on the boondocks. Um, so now I want to ask everyone, how do we prepare someone to consume satire, right? I know a lot <laughs> of folk misunderstand it, even accidentally um, begin feeding it, feeding into what should be art. Um, so how can we prepare people to consume satire? And Joshua, I'm going to start off with you. You sit them down and force them to consume episodes of the Boondocks over, <laughs> over and over again until they get it. You ask them who their favorite character between Riley and Huey is, and if they continue to say Riley, you make them watch it over. <laughs> <laughs> like the episode when they tried to kidnap Oprah and Huey kept hitting them in the head. So why do we kidnap Oprah? I don't know. Why do we kidnap Oprah? <laughs> No, but um, you just have to, like, you have to prepare someone to, you have to, someone has to come in to understand satire with an open mind and open heart. Like, you can't, you have to be able to not take things for face value. So I don't know exactly how you prepare someone to do that, but um, if you can tell, if you can get them to look at some things for it, to view things for a deeper meaning, then they can help. That can help them to understand satire. Yeah, yeah. I think to add on to what Josh said, I think a good way to try and prepare the person is to also be willing to engage with them on it, and to not just let them sort of cop out of some of their thoughts. Many people view confrontation as a negative thing, right? But I do think it is authentic to say. So you said Riley's your favorite character and Riley did X, Y, Z, can you explain why? Because a lot of people do tend to fall back on the, oh, that's just how I feel. But since satire, again, is based on critiquing a commonly held thought, it's like, so you, you miss the art. And my duty as someone who gets it is to at least try to prepare you to begin to seek it yourself, right? I don't think you should sort of stop and spoon feed it to them. But I know with my little sister, for example, when we watch things or we consume things, I always remind her that I want you to think as yourself. I want you to try to comprehend it and then come to me with it because I'm robbing you of the experience if I just tell you why you should get it. But you're also robbing yourself if, again, you're perceiving it literally and thinking, oh, Riley threw that brick because Riley felt like throwing a brick, not realizing, oh, Riley threw the brick at that specific house because that person did something to him. When you slap context on something, you begin to better understand it. For sure. And I think you both are, are hitting the nail on the head on how to um, get people to start consuming this. I think also having those those basic conversations, well, first understanding when you're ready to actually consume it. Right. So I'm not going to have a five year old watch the boondocks, even though, yeah, <laughs> like again, the five year old may see a lot of things and it's good for them to see certain things within the show. I don't know too much, but there may be some things that we can highlight for a child to see. However, they won't be able to, as you both alluded to, process and actually really sit with what it means or what this is really saying to me, right? So I think mm -hmm. by giving people, I, I was ready to say students, by giving people the time, <laughs> counselor mode, uh, thoughts from a counselor, um, but seriously, by giving people the, the chance to really sit down, process, um, and having reflective conversations with um, individuals while watching and consuming these types of shows, to provide that context um, to ensure a better understanding is something that would definitely benefit individuals when before they get into watching any of these uh, type of shows. 
And I think that's the tricky thing about it too, especially when you bring up age, because we do often define comprehension skills based on age. Mm -hmm. But what we tend to forget is that exposure is what genuinely grows your awareness. So within reason, right? Like you said, we don't need to sit a (laughs) five-year-old in front of Boondocks. But the sooner you talk to your 11-year-old or your 12-year-old about the context of satire and the ideas being critiqued, the better you can prime them to begin to critique the world, right? Mm -hmm. Because what satire is based in as well is growing the awareness of how you critique something. Because many of us, like as Black men, for example, can understand racism to an extent. But what Dave Chappelle often does well through Huey is showing how, okay, racism is not just acts, it's covert. Mm -hmm. As we saw with, again, episode with MLK, when Martin Luther King Jr. kept trying to talk and he kept getting cut off, right? That's a microaggression that many of us have experienced. So thinking is just the beginning and thinking is great, but satire also assists us with then beginning to think better, right? To think sharper. Absolutely. You said it well said, well said. Mm -hmm. And now that we've discussed satire, let's discuss what satire is not, right? Mm -hmm. We know many comedians, uh, they believe in cringy jokes, you know, sometimes outright bigoted jokes, and they try to pass that off as satire adjacent, right? Because (laughs) they think that shock value is what you need to get attention. And now, since we know a lot of folks who want to be the devil's advocate, What experiences have you had with folks trying to, again, make these cringy jokes, these honestly outright offensive jokes? And I'll definitely, I'll let whichever one of y'all is ready go first, because I saw both of y'all pick your heads up, so I know y'all both got a response. (laughs) I feel feel as if um, most of the time people look to play devil's advocate just to see how far they can push boundaries, just to push boundaries. not so much to actually like play the other side and bring about questions from a different perspective. Um, like most of the time people are just doing like if you, I don't, <laughs> so like <laughs> in a classroom, right. And you're like the only black student in the classroom mm-hmm. and the talk about like race issues comes up and there's another non-black student who wants to be like, well, what is, <laughs> You know, it, it had to been us on the other side of this, you know, and it's like, okay, do you really want to know the answer to that question or are you just bringing this up to try and push a boundary to maybe get a reaction out of me? Yeah, or invalidate too, because I know that's what we see a lot. Mm-hmm. I think that it's a, it's a, you would be able to tell when people are doing um, the difference, but I think sometimes our radars and people's radars are a little, uh, off when it comes to being whether <laughs> determining I'm being a devil's advocate or I'm just being an ass or I'm being someone who's trying to uh, tell these off-brand jokes and I think um, it's something that we all need to improve upon but when we think about when when I think about cringy jokes or things like that I, I already have in my mind that you're not trying to be a devil's advocate you're in the we're in the space where you're trying to joke right when when someone says what if when they start off with that what if and it's like they set up the whole scenario. You're no longer trying to just teach me or trying to have me think differently. 
you're putting me in a situation where I'm either going to be the butt of the joke or you want me to laugh at your joke. So we're in the comedy, um, comedy central section. So that now I have to look at it that way. And I think, um, when people do go that down that path, um, they, it brands you, whether it's, it's, um, they tolerate it for only, but so much. Right. I think about the, the boy from, um, Seinfeld, right. He was mm-hmm. funny, but once he crossed a certain line, that line was never crossed again. Right. Yep. Um, and Louis uh, KC or any of these com- uh, comedians that are raunchy comedians, they can't stay with that, that, that material because if they do stay with it, they will eventually will be branded and now be off brand. Cause look, the world is mm-hmm. evolving. We're in 2020, although we're, we brought up how we're watching boondocks and we're seeing this thing, these things coming to fruition. However, the world is evolving with it. So a lot of things that we used to say back in the day, or used to, uh, are, feel believe that's not PC per se. Right. Or that's not mm-hmm. how people um, perceive it or view it anymore. So that's not acceptable. And, and I know yep. another, <laughs> just a little snippet, here's a little sample for you all, for anyone who used to go to Sam's club and every Saturday, get the little samples for another <laughs> episode that we're going to uh, talk about. We're going to talk about <laughs> this, this problem or this issue where people say things in the past and it may be brought up to this new develop this newly developed world and they're not holding themselves accountable for what they said. Believe it, please. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that segues perfectly into how a lot of comedians, you know, uh, Charlie Murphy, RIP, and even Eddie Murphy yeah. too, have also said like, listen, when we consume our old humor, kind of like the initial conversation we had about wholeness and growth, yeah. you have to realize that perhaps the way you were whole quote unquote in the past, is the reason why someone else was in parts. For sure. And that's unfortunately how our lived experiences work. But the fortunate part is we always have the opportunity to go back and to reassess, right? Yeah. A lot of people, again, because they fear confrontation, they think if I say, hey, Josh, or hey, Paul, that thing you said a year ago that I was uncomfortable bringing it up, I want to bring it up now because that made me feel away. Now, so it's been a year. Why are you trying to ruin me now? Whoa, I didn't say I want the FBI to kick your door in. I'm just trying to, again, be authentic with you because you may be making other people feel that same way with your devil's advocacy, right? Right. With your cringy jokes. And it's not good to make others feel away, which now we can probably play our clip because that's honestly one of the reasons why Dave Chappelle had to take his break from, $50 $50 million, y'all. That's a mil. good bit of money. Right. <laughs> he, <laughs> said, break, bro. he said, nah. And y'all, are, y'all are about to hear why. <laughs> Alrighty. A bit ago that you felt that there were some things that weren't socially responsible. Like what? Like there's this one sketch we did that was about the, this pixie that would appear whenever racist things happen. Whenever someone make you feel like they calling you that N-word. Uh-huh. But don't say it. And it was, it was funny. And it, the premise of the sketch was that every race had this, like, pixie, this, like, racial complex. And, uh, but, the, but the pixie was in blackface. Now, blackface is a very difficult image. But the reason I had chosen blackface at the time was because this was going to be the visual personification of the N-word. It was, right. it, the, it, was a, it was a good spirit or intention behind it. But what I didn't consider is how many people watch a show and how the way people use television is subjective. 
I completely understand. Yeah. I could go finish, because I have a story to tell you. So then when I'm on the set and we're finally taping the sketch, somebody on the set that was white laughed in such a way. I know the difference of people laughing with me and people laughing at me. And it was the first time I'd ever gotten a laugh that I was uncomfortable with. Hmm. Not just uncomfortable, but like, should I fire this person? <laughs> And now, as y'all have seen, it can be very, very hard to sort of sit down and have that moment of how do I have this mutual space when perhaps the other party isn't mutually consuming it as needed. Right. And I think that's the greatest difficulty with creating art and satire as a whole, like was mentioned earlier it's left to the interpretation of the viewer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've discussed Riley, right? But now I want to ask if y'all have some other specific characters who are the object of satire, right? Who folk then misperceive, who folk often even ascribe to and are like, what? You don't like such and such? How? I saw both y'all look up. I know y'all got some heat y'all about to pull from y'all brains. <laughs> We got to get some, some thinking music, like for Jeopardy, the doo-doo-doo. we to get that sample next time. I'm really trying to think about a lot. There's a lot of characters, but who is blatant? Because the way that you're describing it, you want blatant, um, blatant stuff just like Riley, right? That's what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I can give one to fill the time while y'all think if y'all need more, because I got one. Go ahead, start us off. So, and... In a black lady sketch show, they have a character who is a Hertep, right? Uh, her name, I'm, I'm not her name. Hertep is the woman component to Hotep. Right. And as you know, Hoteps are folk who very much so love African culture, uh, believe in it, support it. But for some reason, only focus on Egypt. Like Africa is not a whole <laughs> continent with multiple places that are worth exploring, right? right? All throughout the show, the character will change her name and tell others, oh, your name is your slave name. You need to remake your name. And it's like, whoa, 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 let's, let's slow down for half a second. And most notoriously, she was at a wedding where she was discussing how, see, the problem is y'all consciousness is off. Y'all don't understand because y'all don't read. And then people asked her what she read. And she was like, oh, well, I got this Kente cloth. <laughs> and the, the satire is, again, folks think, discovering or choosing new roots is a substitute for the actual learning. But folks who also watch the show will be telling me how she's this groundbreaking character. And I'm like, y'all, y'all are missing it. Right. <laughs> like missing right. it fast. No, in, in, in that sense, I think the first person that came to my mind was Rick from Rick and Morty. And I think a lot of people, like, they, they associate themselves with it. They love how he's this super sci-fi guy. And I think part of the play in, in the satire is the fact that we can, the shiny things is what draw people. We probably saw the show because it had sci-fi influences. People love that type of stuff. But to, to see how this, this older white man is just treating people, his family, how he treats others with no matter how, how they look or where they come from. And that's, that's, kind of pushed to the the bottom because he's a super genius um i think rick is the first person i would i would name 
I think he it shows how uh, people in general tend to um, want to go for the things that make the most sense. You know, we try to be logical. However, we don't think about how our logic may impact other people's um, feelings and thoughts in their lives. Right. Like mm-hmm. Rick is so smart that he can do so many things. He can, he invented time travel. There's a council of Rick's however, and he goes on these adventures, not caring what happens to the family. They literally change different um, multiverses to live with different families because the repercussions of their own actions, they don't care about them because, and then they impact everyone else. Right. So I think that shows a, a bigger um, story or tells a bigger story around how people tend to use logic or think, try to think logically, but not think about how their lives impact or their decisions in general impact the lives of others. Gotcha. Do you need more thinking time, Josh? You got it. Cause if you do, I have another add on. I want to make the Paul statement too. Nah. Um, I guess one of the ones I can kind of think of just like on the spot right now, is probably like Homer Simpson. Um, <laughs> he kind of drives the, the Simpson show. He's like that dad who's always wanting something yeah. and things like he'll never have. Who's scheming to like get things and he's always failing to get them. Right. So it's appetite, like it disappoint it disappoints him and stuff. So um, I think he's a like a really good satire character for just like father figures in America. Just because he's both like lovable and um, kind of cringy at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he will glaringly drop the ball, but try to caveat it with, but I love you. And folks yeah. don't realize, hey, you shouldn't be agreeing with that because that's a problem. The I love you is not an excuse to continue to keep messing up when folks are telling you how to do better. Right. <laughs> and I think Peter is a part of that too. Peter from Family Guy plays yeah. a little bit into what you described too. On the other end of like just white, I don't want to keep doing that, but like this white male that's dumb that does everything dumb. He he, the episode I'm thinking of right now is when he found out he was black, right? And he dropped everything and started immersing himself in the black culture, right? Nate Griffin, and he just threw himself, and it shows how people they we find these this information out. We'll drop what we're doing. Forget it all, and then we find out that some part of it wasn't true, and now we move on to the next. And I think that's a larger issue that we 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 battle. But I think it, it plays into what you're describing with, with Homer. Mm-hmm. And to to add on to your point about Rick, I think in a really real way, Rick is also a satire for folk who believe logic and emotion are separate. Yeah. Because folk love to say, "Oh, Rick is so intelligent because he's all logical," right? Right. But logic informs our emotions. Yep. They're a team. And as we see with a lot of Rick's bad moments, especially towards like the end of episodes, he'll have these emotional outbursts because he's been trying to be logical. He's been <laughs> right. withholding his emotions. And yep. it's like, bro, that's not how any of that works. Yep. And annoy- uh, not annoying, ignoring one's emotion does not somehow make decisions more right. It actually makes them wrong because now you're still going to have the same blow up, but you're going to have it three months down the road when you're sick of tolerating what you told yourself you're not upset about. Right. Rather than at the beginning when you can just talk about it and say, hey, it's hard for me to work with you because you constantly cut me off or because you're always late to stuff or um, I don't know, because you halfway do work. You know, there's a variety of stuff right. we can pull out our hat. No, well said, well said. And as the def- the definition on dictionary.com says, satire plays upon many factors 
um, of our socialization, such as classism, race, gender, and more. So how do we prepare ourselves to acknowledge this component of humor um, when we're looking at satire? And Mm -hmm. either Mm -hmm. one of you can start. I think it has to start with us asking ourselves, what do we find funny? Mm -hmm. And why do we find it funny? Yes. Right? Because anybody who has been around children knows that children will laugh at you saying the word butt cheeks, right? (laughs) Because to them, that cracks them up. Right. But to speak on the bigotry component, as men, for example, dudes love jokes about women going to the kitchen, about women doing this, women doing that. Mm -hmm. But you have to realize that satire is meant to grow your understanding of the world. So if your understanding of the world is that women are one dimensional, for example, you may not be prepared to understand satire in most capacities because you have a limited view of humor. Mm -hmm. And a lot of folks think, oh, I'm picky, so that means I choose well. But like you only picking to choose jokes about when you only picking to choose to find jokes about women funny just means that you're picking and still chose wrong because that is a flaw in you to feel like all these other jokes for some reason aren't. That's a fair point. I think that's a fair point. And, and when people get to decide, I think, but it's, it's also, it's a little difficult. I would say this, and I don't even want to go down that rabbit hole, but, and, and Joshua, I want to hear from you as well. But I think that you, we have to make sure that when we are finding the things that we find humorous and that we're laughing at and all these things where that we're making sure that, we're, we're having the conversation with ourselves or having the conversation with someone around that we may find this funny, but someone else may not. And to your point, you said, if I found this funny and others don't, there may be something wrong with me internally, but I also have to consider wh- who am I around? What am I doing? What is my, all the things that we outlined prior to that. So I think mm-hmm. making sure that people know that and have that awareness before they go out in the world and repeating certain jokes, like the, the how did the chicken cross the world road is universal, right? There's, there's no other <laughs> implications or components we got to consider when we, we tell that joke. But when you say something about um, people's race or, or add classism, things like that, gender, make sure that you consider the read the room, but also realize that what you're saying has impacts on people outside of just you having a good time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Josh. Yeah, so I mean, just by allowing ourselves to consume with an open mind. Um, I mean, like, how how old do you think, or how young do you think is, like, to start? Do you feel like it was good that you got to see Boondocks at that young age and then, you know, come back to it at like as, like, a 20-year-old to understand it? Or do you, I mean, do you think it's better that, like, I know Libra said he watches these kind of shows like with his younger siblings. Do you think it's better that your your younger sibling got to watch that with you, mm-hmm. with you there like explaining these topics that maybe they didn't understand? Like, I mm-hmm. feel like for me, like it was really good that I got to experience that kind of like ignorantly and then come back to it later on to just kind of like for myself to find things out for myself. Mm-hmm. I think it's two-parted because, you know, everybody learns differently. So both sides are correct to learn in a group and learn alone. But to add on to it a little more, most of us can perceive bigotry from young ages. Like my first experience with like racism or discrimination was kindergarten. And since the jokes 
that we consume and the media that we consume are going to mimic and parrot that. I think that there's not really a right age to prepare or to expose a child to it because their lived experiences will expose it to them anyway. And with you present, or at least with you taking the walk with them, they can now better find the terminology for it rather than accidentally, you know, invalidating themselves and saying, oh, well, I just didn't understand that or they didn't mean that, you know? And with like social media today and I, you know, like younger kids access to social media, you think our generation now is more prepared for this kind of comedy versus, you know, our generation? You know, I mean, like our generations aren't too far separated from like teenagers, but you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. our, we feel like we're like this woke generation versus like our younger generation. I don't know if it makes them more prepared, but it definitely provides them more access to it so they can have mm-hmm. that exposure at a young age. So even if you're one of those strict um, parents, not even strict, let me not say that like that's you're a strict parent. If you don't let them watch it at a certain age, if you're <laughs> like if you're the, the type of, of person to watch it at a uh, at a younger age um, and you watch it with somebody, you may need that person. You may need someone to watch it along with you. However, um, since this new generation, they has social media, they have so many creators that are out there that are not just on our streaming uh, sites or on television that we can consume. I think they will have more access to it. But be, being prepared, you still need that that guidance. You still need somebody to, to a Libra in his Libra and his sister situation. You need someone to walk with you on that journey if you want to really consume it properly. Yeah. So I think it's important to mention your point about, again, yeah, you know, I can walk through it with my sister. I can be the voice. I can be there for her understanding. But most importantly, she can understand it as herself. And then I can give her my input. Because the greatest thing about satire, too, is that we can both perceive the same point and understand the the art, right? As well as further expand it and critique it. You know, a great example of that, Paul, the other day, we were critiquing Avatar and talking about how it did do a lot of things perfectly yeah. and how it still did drop some, uh, <laughs> that would have been funny, it dropped some things. Right, right. For sure. And that's, that's sort of natural too, because yeah. art is always going to be built upon, right? right. Art is also going to continue to change and grow because if it doesn't, it ceases to be art. Right. Did the creators of Avatar have anything to do with the um, live action movie that came out? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I had think a part. the official story <laughs> it was. played a part. <laughs> yeah. No way. They had a hand in that, and then it came out that bad. They didn't have a well, full hand. Well, you got to remember that, uh-huh, I was just about to say that. They tell them, yeah, we're going to give you the keys. Exactly. And it's like, oh, we're giving you the keys, but it's push to start. And I'm the one pushing it. Exactly. And like, what is the name? M. Night Shyamalan. He messed up that. They pronounced the boy's mm-hmm. name wrong. I'm sure that the creators Ong of that show movie. would not be like, yeah, call him Ong. That's not that boy's name. Friend, <laughs> I'm surprised you remember that much from the film. I remember saying. going into it and maybe like 30 minutes and I'm like, yo, what? They, they pronounced Sokka's name as Soka the whole movie too. <laughs> right. And they're white. They're white. <laughs> Katara yeah. clearly is not white. I no. think she's a sister. But personally, <laughs> they are no. not white. So the way she held it down. 
<laughs> you real though. You're right. She was a ride or die. Ride or die. <laughs> Let me stop. And I remember you had another question, Josh, right? About how they should consume it, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I know you mentioned earlier about how you um, kind of experienced, which is, I keep, we keep using the Boondock Guardian example, but like, a satire-driven TV show with your sister, and you can sit there and watch it with her and kind of explain maybe some of the points she misses. Do you think it's better that, um, I know, like, for me, like I said earlier, being an only child, I kind of, like, experienced a lot of that stuff alone and ignorantly, Mm -hmm. and grew with it through the years from when I was able to finally fully understand, but, like, to a better extent, understand satire. Do you think mm-hmm. it's better that I got that experience versus the experience with this there and they've experienced it before that can explain some of the things she might miss? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I'd quite say it's better or worse. I think it's just, again, an experience per se. Mm-hmm. But uh, I will say that folk are going to be ignorant regardless of who's around them. And at least with me there, she is better equipped to take the walk, to get the understanding, and again, to revise it. I know you referenced how when you and your friends talked about it, even though you didn't have a direct sibling, right? You still were able to talk about it with others who could begin to help you catch up in their own way. And in a real way, that is also a great thing about art, you know, especially with television shows that we do watch and revisit. Right. Because we get to continually have somebody add on to our thoughts and allow the artist to continue to add on to our thoughts even now up into 2020, even though the last Boondocks episode might have aired in like 2013, I think. Well, not counting um, the the season four. Oh yeah, the comic yeah. strips. <laughs> and the comic <laughs> strips, yes. <laughs> and then now, Paul, I suppose you can lead us into our concluding segment. But before, yeah, no, I definitely will. And before I uh, lead us into our lead by example, I just want to say that this conversation definitely was necessary um, because it it provides a lot of perspectives for people that may not know how to, you know, take in satire. And I think um, to answer your question, Josh, um, there is no right or wrong answer. I think there's benefit like for you to do it on your own and have your peers be your your compass per se on how to take in this uh, media that benefited you because you had to learn to do things on your own. Um, and there's benefits to um, Liebert's method as well. Um, I, I would say the only thing from, for me personally um, for doing it on your own. Um, and th- I, I look at this now, not when I was in that position. So when I was a teenager, I'm similar, similar, just like you, my friends, we're, we're all consuming the same things. I can bounce it off them and they are saying things that I like to hear. Um, but not necessarily the things that I needed to hear, right? So it also matters the the friend circle that I'm sharing this with. We we all may have someone in our friend circle that may think on another level and be able to consume it and process it differently so we can get that knowledge that Liebert, uh, or the, to conceptualize it the way Liebert is trying with his sister. However, if we all um, are the same, of all the same cloth, or we are very similar, and we are processing this information and consuming it the same way, we're probably going to take it uh, and react to it the same way, too. Um, and then it creates that hive mind mentality, and now we're, all of us are not learning, versus 
um, having someone to guide us. So I definitely think there's some benefits, but for me, it, there are some limitations to doing it on your own um, just because of the unknown. And that's not to say Libra could be evil and he could be guiding his sister down the wrong path, but I'm sure he would not be doing that <laughs> because he, he loves his sister. <laughs> but um, I, again, um, thank you, Josh, for joining us on this wonderful episode. Um, what we do here with Thoughts for a Counselor, we have this segment where we close things out where it's lead by example, where we're highlighting um, those who are doing good work or who have done something that you want to uh, shout out and highlight. So is there anybody that you would want to uh, make sure that they get some love and get some um, praise for our lead by example um, segment this week. Yeah, I agree. I want to shout out my mom. Mm. Um, yeah, show mommy some love. I love your mama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's a teacher, um, a middle school teacher. So she had to make the transition um, during the whole Corona thing from the class. Online and boy, man, she'll she spends hours at the studio every day, just like she's in the classroom. She sits down, she calls parents, you know, to make sure students are getting assignments, if you have been in trouble accessing assignments. And you know, um, there's this issue like there's this issue in our community where we don't hold each other accountable. For mm -hmm. And She's going out of her way to whether, you know, um, you don't know exactly what's going on in people's households, but sure. um, during this time, but she's going out of her way to still try and hold her students accountable to make sure they're focused on their schoolwork, they're still doing their homework assignments, they're still keeping up with other assignments from other classrooms. And it's as easy as making a phone call to the their household, you know, a five-minute phone call to the student, and you know that's big. Like I'm seeing my mom do, like, and that's and, love. That is love. Yeah. Shout and, out! Wow, like, give me more teachers like my mom. Yes, feel me. So hey, the you more. better love your mama. More. You better love your mama. You better love your mama. <laughs> Shout out to her, man. Shout out, big things here. For sure, for sure, man. We're gonna clap it up for you. What what's your mother's name? Uh Mrs. Miss Minkins. Miss Minkins. Nice, nice, nice. Miss Minkins, here's another clap from Thoughts from a Counselor. Thank you for being so amazing. You keep teaching the future. You are cultivating greatness at your school. Thank you so much. Libra, do you have anybody you wanna mention? Yeah, um, you know, I want to shout out Josh, especially, you know, yes. guest, old friend, best friend. Yes. I also want to shout him out as a graduate. And again, all of the 2020 graduates, hey. we love y'all. We appreciate y'all. Right. Uh, y'all deserve better than the corona crisis that <laughs> sadly hit. But, you know, we right here with y'all. And post y'all photos, post y'all videos. We're going to comment. We're going to retweet. We're going to show love because we still do recognize your work and you did it. Yes, clap it up for the graduates. Clap it up for Josh for graduating and being great. Go ahead, Josh. And all the 2020 graduates, this is for y'all. Wait, what did you say? <laughs> I'm trying to be just like y'all. <laughs> no, be better than us, man. Be better than us. Be greater than us. Hey, and collaborating is how we...
y'all become better together. As you know, we bring guests, we bring other pods, we bring faculty. You yes. know, if I can get Batman to come on here, we're going to get superheroes Listen, too. We would make it happen. I will pull up to Gotham <laughs> right now. <laughs> no, but seriously, I think um, for me this week, it's definitely going to be uh, Miss Monique Nia Golden. Harrison. She got a lot of hyphens and a lot of names, but she is all all those names embodied into one great woman. Um, she she does a lot for the community. She works with Girls for Technology. She's also a doc student um, here at the University of Connecticut. She's a wife. She does so much for so many people. And I wanted to shout her out because there was a lot of stuff going on in the town that I'm living in. And it was an unsafe environment. And the first person to reach out, the first person to make sure everything was in order was Monique. And I'm very grateful for her and all she does for the community. We'll have her on the show in the future, her and the Girls from Technology team. And we definitely look forward to that. But I wanted to make sure I shout you out, Sister Soldiers. So here you go. Here's a clap for you. <laughs> yes, yes. So, Liebert, do you want to tell them what we potentially will be talking about next week? Yeah, so y'all, you know, we always give y'all a sneak preview of the next episode. And I think tentatively, we're going to do our next episode on anime and, of course, being Black while consuming anime. Mm -hmm. But given the recent, you know, Avatar explosion, <laughs> we we may have to put that in the mix, too, and move that up. Uh, it might be a surprise to y'all. It's certainly going to be a surprise to us. But Y'all tune in and y'all listen to us. So if nothing else, we appreciate that y'all come. If we do change the topic, I apologize. You can blame me for that. Not Paul, <laughs> not Josh. <laughs> but what we will make sure that we we are going to do um, is that we're going to have, we need you all to start liking, leaving comments, um, rating us on Apple Music, Spotify, however you can rate us. Please rate us, like us, um, and we'll be doing giveaways soon enough. Um, we understand everyone's in this difficult time, so we want to pass on some self-care wear that we use um, to make sure that we're not going crazy while also listening to Thoughts from a Counselor, this wonderful podcast that you can subscribe to. Um, we have some a little care package for you, so <laughs> please be on the lookout for that giveaway, and we'll announce how we'll do it and how we'll send it out, and you'll be a part of our Thoughts for, from a Counselor family. Thank you so much. On that note, I mean, on that note, thanks for tuning in, y'all. Yes, yes. Thank you so much. And we're out. Mm -hmm.